Alright, so I'm doing this for the fifth Sunday of Lent, which was yesterday. I'm going to do it today because I accidentally went to Chicago. That is something you only hear someone who does Uber will ever say. Anyway, love you guys. And, uh... Yeah, shit. There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons and then... There are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. Fie Jesu Domine, Dona Eis Requiem. Oh Lord, oh you are so big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. I had a hard time deciding what I was going to talk about today. First, I was going to talk about, you know, Jesus getting prideful and having his pride smacked down and letting his friend die on him. Uh... But then I remembered the episode of Sesame Street where Mr. Hooper died. And it made me rethink everything. See, in 1981, Will Lee, the actor who played Mr. Hooper, who owned the general store on Sesame Street, died. And it posed issues. The producers of the show wanted to decide whether they should deal at all with the subject of death. If so, how could they explain it to all those viewers of theirs who are under the age of six? A staff writer in an article I found put it like this. We asked ourselves, what do we want the kids to know? What can they absorb? What might open things we can answer? We try to create boundaries around what we can safely teach without doing any damage. Well, child development experts who specialize in loss and separation provided a lot of specifics of don'ts for dealing with death on the show. Don't say Mr. Hooper got sick and died because you don't always die when you get sick. Don't say he was old because children think their parents are old. And don't say he went to the hospital and died because people go to the hospital all the time and come out just fine. The staff decided... <sighs> wow, that was a big breath. The staff decided to avoid religious issues, such as saying that Mr. Hooper had gone to heaven. Which is good, because technically no one's in heaven yet. What about the do's? Early on, they decided they were going to do a few basic things. He's gone. Just acknowledging that reality. He won't be back. He'll be missed. They also wanted the cast to express how they felt about the actor. They wanted the kids to know that death stimulates a full range of emotions. You're sad, you're angry, you're frustrated, sometimes all at the exact same time. The show that resulted aired on Thanksgiving so that parents could watch with their kids. In one part of it, a segment, 
Bigward walks on camera and says to the cast, I just drew pictures of all my grown-up friends on Sesame Street and wouldn't give them to you. And he passed out the sketches and the cast members oohed and nod over their likeness. And then he's left with Mr. Hooper's picture. I can't wait till he sees it, says Big Bird. Say, where is he? I want to give it to him. One of the cast members explains, Big Bird, don't you remember we told you? Mr. Hooper has died. He's dead. Big Bird says, oh yeah, I remember. Well, I'll just have to give it to him when he comes back. Another cast member gets, member gets up from her chair and touches Big Bird saying, no, Big Bird. Mr. Hooper's not coming back. Well, why not? Big Bird asked innocently. Big Bird, explains the cast member. When people die, they don't come back. And yeah, Big Bird, it's sad, but no, they don't come back. We got a friend in Jesus. Isn't that the message of the lesson of John's gospel? That unless you, if you're a friend of Jesus, you come back. Because Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Let's notice that first of all. When they came to tell Jesus that Lazarus was grave, was ill, they said to him, the one whom you love is sick. Lazarus is Jesus's close and important friend. And that might be important. So let's talk a minute about life beyond the grave. We're approaching Easter, so maybe this is a good time as any to consider what we believe about the afterlife. And don't expect me to give away any hard answers about that unseen world, because I can't. The Bible doesn't actually give any concrete information what lies beyond the grave. So we have a wide range of views on the subject. The story is told about a couple who lived on a beautiful piece of ground in an isolated area. In the process of time, he died. Before he died, he expressed his strong desire to be buried upon their own property. And his new widow made all the necessary arrangements. She sent a funeral home crew to dig the grave on their property. Shortly, she received a phone call, which kind of went like this. We cannot dig this grave like you have laid it out. One crewman said, why not? She said, well, we always dig graves facing east and west. And the one you've laid is north to south. Why do you always dig them east to west? The widow asked. I'm not sure, answered the crewman. It has something to do with the Lord returning from the east, and when everybody stands up, they'll be facing him. There was silence for a bit of time, and then the practical widow gave this reply. Dig it like I laid it out. When he stands up, he can turn around. We don't know much about the afterlife. The Bible just gives us glimpses of things eternal, which may surprise you, though, to know that as Christians, we technically don't believe in immortality. We believe in resurrection. So let's take a moment and explain the difference. See, the ancient Greeks believed that every human being possesses an immortal soul. At death, that immortal soul flits off to be with God, and that's immortality. 
is a concept borrowed from the Greeks. The Jewish idea of humanity's destiny, on the other hand, is not that we possess a soul, but that we are a soul. And when we die, we really die, completely dead. But there is the good news, after we're dead, God can choose to give us the gift of new life and resurrect us from the dead. But it is not just the part of us that is raised, it is raised in our entirety. That's why we have in the Apostles' Creed that quaint little statement, I believe in the resurrection of the body. It's not just a part of us that is raised to new life, this vacuous soul. We are raised completely, body, mind, and soul. But how? Our bodies decay. And what happens to those bodies that perish in terrible accidents, you know, fires, etc. Paul answers that in Corinthians 15 by saying that God gives us a new body. For we must have a body in this understanding of resurrection, but it is a spiritual body. Now, don't make too much of this because it's intertwining of these views and scriptures. The important thing is that we recognize that according to the doctrine of resurrection, this new life that we receive beyond the grave is a gift from God and is a gift offered without condition to those who are friends of Jesus. And it's offered without condition to those who have been joined to him through this, his death on the cross. Those who call him master, teacher, Lord, what I'm saying is we have a friend in high places and that's why we can look forward to a life beyond this one. So that is the first thing that we need to see. Lazarus was Jesus's friend. Number two, we need to see that just because you're a friend of Jesus does not mean that you will not get your heart shattered from time to time. I need to say that because there's a lot of us who've lived a very protected life. And if we've built up this notion in our minds that nothing really bad can ever really happen to us because, hey, God loves us. So when it does, we're shocked and we fall into a deep despair and some of us never recover from it. Earlier generations of people were not as lucky as us. So they were better prepared to handle with life's heartaches because they're much more familiar with their with them, then yeah, the, the heartaches that show up. I read once that it was a custom in a Russian village at a time many children did not survive infancy to have a mourning hut at the outskirts of every town. Then all women who lost children were sent to live in that hut for one month of solitude and grief. At the end of that month, the hut was set on fire. The woman inside had to decide whether to live or to die. If she came out of the burning hut, this indicated she was prepared to live and then she rebuilt the hut for the next one. Earlier generations of people knew the fact that life was hard and sometimes cruel. They prepared spiritually for the hard times they knew were coming. We on the other hand expect life to be pretty much pain free, don't we? So we're unprepared for when we see those illusions shattered. And that's why we're so much more prone to depression than earlier generations, maybe. Or maybe that's why we're actually 
confronting compression, I should say. And why we understand that the need for drugs is there, you know, a crutch for a broken mind. Just because you're a friend of Jesus does not mean that you will not get your heart broken. Ask Mary and Martha. Mary was angry with Jesus because he had not come to see about her brother sooner. And Mary must have cussed him the hell out too. I mean, John tells that even Jesus shed tears when he's confronted with the depth of Mary's scolding. Now, back in the 80s and 90s, when I was growing up, there was a woman who was very big on the scene. And maybe some of you know of her, maybe not. I mean, I know a lot of people who know a lot more about Madonna than I do. But I definitely know that people today, or in my day, would never really choose chosen Madonna as a role model. But it may help us to understand this young woman if we knew her past. For instance, in Truth or Dare, a documentary about one of her concert tours, there's a scene where she's visiting the grave of her mother who died when she was only five years old. She says that my mother's death was such a big mystery to me when I was a child and no one ever really explained it. She was really religious, so I never understood why she was taken from us. It seemed so unfair. I never thought she had done something wrong, so oftentimes I wondered what I had done wrong. I can't help but speculate that Madonna's attitude towards religion might be a whole lot more wholesome if someone were been there to offer her some guidance and answer some of her questions at that critical time in her life. Now, Ted Turner, who's a cable TV magnet, or at least he used to be, had the same kind of negative reaction towards religion when his sister had died. The death of someone you love is painful. Even if you are a friend of Jesus, you can have your heart broken, but fortunately, it's not the end of the story. Because Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb to grant him the gift of new life. So that's where we're going to focus our attention today. Jesus, the giver of life. Not only new life beyond the grave, but new life here and now. And for some of us, new life may be a chance to start over with their lives. For others of us, new life may mean new energy to deal with the burdens that we already are carrying. The main thing is that new life is available, and it is such a wonderful thing. In Berlin in 1908, a 21-year-old Polish pianist, Arthur Rubinstein, was lonely, hungry, and in debt. His career was at an impasse. He felt there was nothing left for him but suicide. The problem was finding a way. He had no gun, no poison. The idea of jumping out of a window was revolting. Quote, I might have to live and go on living with broken arms and legs, he said. So he chose strangulation with a belt from his robe. He went into the bathroom, stood on a chair, secured one of the belt to the overhead hook. Then he tied the other around his neck, kicked over the chair. The worn out belt immediately came apart and Rubenstein fell on the floor with a crash. For a time he lay there, weeping. Later, 
Going to piano, he cried himself out in music. Afterwards on the street, he saw the world as if reborn. That famed pianist never forgot what this experience taught him. Love life, he said later. For better or for worse, without conditions. Is there anything greater than the gift of having a second chance to live life anew? That was the gift that Jesus gave Lazarus, new life. As if to explain his actions, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you're dead, you shall live. And that's the promise he has given to us today. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It does not mean that we will not have our heart broken from time to time. It doesn't mean that we are sheltered from the storms, but it doesn't mean that if we are in Christ, neither life or death will ever really defeat us. For the one who raised Lazarus from the dead will give us life as well. So if you run into that big old yellow bird that you might recognize from Sesame Street, send him a message for me. Can you let him know that it's true that a person who's dead doesn't come back. Unless he has a friend of Jesus. Because you know. Yeah. You know what, if you're listening to this still, and you're listening to this part right here, that means you made it to the end, and I'm very excited about you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing, maybe? And while you're at it, you could also follow my all my links, which is in the description. Maybe buy a cup of coffee for me. Search the merch store. Join me on Facebook and other social media things. Catch me on Twitch. I've decided I'm scheduling April 1st to be my first day back on Twitch, which means I have to, like, buy stuff. In any case, love you all. Take care. And remember, everybody... Everybody is welcome because it's about love. Peace out, you fuckers. <laughs>